Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Always glad to have this young lady back. She's a clinical psychologist. It's Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. We call her Katie. How are you? Good to see you. It is so great to see you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you back. Now, uh, there is so much going on right now in society, but there's also, I've got this strange wonderment about why we care about stuff like Jeffrey Dahmer. So let's just go a bunch of different places today, if you don't mind. Is that cool? Always. Okay, so let's start with this. I saw this earlier and I retweeted it. I'm not sure if you saw the tweet. I think we follow each other, but you ignore me, which is perfectly fine. Um, but I retweeted this. There's some, some study that just came out says that children are over 500% more likely today than in just like the past decade or the past generation to somehow have questions or identify as gender fluid or gender questions or sexual orientation. And we're talking about little kids. Katie, why would there be such an increase today? I mean, my assumption is because we're telling them to to be more cognizant of this for some reason. But I think the other side wants us to believe that it's just natural. Just naturally, people are becoming more inquisitive about this. Why is it happening? Well, well, you hit the nail on the head, Joe. I think that part of it is is like the information that they're getting, whether it's from parents or whether it's from schools or the curriculum, is that they're being told that it's okay to kind of ask these questions or you know that that this is this is something that exists and that they should consider it. You know, the problem is, of course, is that kids' brains are so um, elastic and they take in so much information. And kids have these wild imaginations. And of course, we, we always hear, you know, 20 years down the line, you know, there are, there are people that say, you know what, I knew that I was not a male or a female back when I was, when I was three years old and it was so obvious. But that's, that's not the most common thing, that that's few and far between. There has to be a higher percentage now of kids, like as you mentioned, 500% more. Yeah. Um, that does not seem... To, to, to fit with like just the trajectory that we're on in general. And so what that makes me think is that like we've got a lot of kind of false positives happening where you've got kids saying, you know, today I'm a boy, today I'm a girl, uh, maybe tomorrow I'm a cat or a dog or right. a bear or, or what, what have you. Um, 
that really just don't exist. They're kind of going along with what they're told to be thinking. I, I want to give the specifics of the story. It's actually from the Daily Caller, and I want to show it on the screen quickly here. Uh, Chrissy Clark posted this. Montgomery County Public Schools, so this is one, uh, one uh, specific county, saw a 582% increase in reported gender nonconforming students in two years. There's a clear explosion of gender-confused children over uh, year over year. And, uh, and again, this is from the Daily Caller. So again, I mean, what you just said certainly applies. You've got children who are being told at a very young age, and the picture for those who aren't watching that are listening is a little girl holding a pride flag, who are being told that you must care about this. And uh, listen, I went to school a long time ago, but I got sex ed, I think, in seventh grade. I was 12. And uh, we started learning about the biology of how you make babies and all that. But we never, ever once did I have an instructor, a teacher, or anybody say, hey, what gender do you feel like today? And I never, ever had somebody say, do you like boys or girls? You know, in a sexual connotation, we were too little. Is there an age in your mind as a clinical psychologist where it's okay to talk to kids about this? I'm sorry, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10, 12-year-old kids I think are too young. What do you think? Well, I mean, I don't know about about 10, 11, 12, because at that point, right, we're like kind of a prepubescent and, and puberty stages where, you know, th- that is kind of when a person starts to notice their own sexuality. Okay. Uh, but obviously, gender is different than sexuality, two, two different constructs. Um, but kids at a very young age start to realize what gender they are. And some of that comes from the environment. Some, some of it comes from anatomy. Um, but but it, it is a little bit weird these days. You know, I have a, I have a friend of mine, a, a former friend of mine um, who had a child years ago. And they very purposefully, it was, it was a girl, and they didn't want me to buy her anything pink or girly. They wanted the child to kind of figure out what direction they wanted to go to um, on their own. So I, I bought her a tutu. It was white. It wasn't pink. <laughs> I, had, I had a tutu <laughs> as a kid, too, so that, that could be gender nonconforming. Who knows? Go ahead. <laughs> right, I'm pretty sure my brother wore heels at some point. Right? He was like, try on your mom's stuff. That, I mean, that's normal to an extent, right? right? Kids explore their environment. It doesn't mean that they that they're a different gender. It just means that they're kind of figuring, you know, the things out for themselves. It's, it doesn't have to be this whole big thing. It's uh, Dr. Katie Kuhlman. It, it, good stuff because I know, and, and I think that you agree that we've got adults in this, uh, in this society today that are, are claiming things like, well, kids are much younger when they feel comfortable coming out. They couldn't come out before. So this isn't really a 582% increase. This was always this way. We just didn't know it. That's just simply not true. Because when I send my kids to school, and I wonder what you think about this, I, I tell them, listen to your teachers. That's the authority. Don't misbehave. If he or she says something, you should listen to it. Because we assume that they're out for the better good of the kid. But we also know that there are some teachers that are going, hey, if you want to be different pronouns in class, I won't tell mom and dad. That's a real problem, isn't it? Well, it it is a problem. And and the reason that I think that it is a problem, look, there's going to be certain situations where it is absolutely not safe for a teenager or a kid to come out to their parents because of abuse or neglect issues. And that's a totally different scenario. Um, But in the scenarios where it is safe and and we have no reason to believe that there would be actual harm done at home if the parents knew, wouldn't that be the time to kind of loop them in? Wouldn't you want to surround that kid with support um, and give them outlets to talk about what's going on so they can figure out if this is or is not something that they're actually experiencing? No, I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, what's interesting is we had a case here in Texas, probably in Dallas, so pretty far from where I am, but where the mother and father got a divorce, the mother said the kid was a girl, the father said the kid is a boy, he is biologically a boy, he's a male. So when the kid was actually asked about it, I saw this video, he said, well, when I'm with my mom, I'm a girl, and when I'm with my dad, I'm a boy. I mean, that's that's damaging, is it not? 
it's horribly damaging. I mean, to I mean, you're literally asking this this poor kid is having to have two separate identities right. depending on you know whose house they're at, and that's not good for just their like overall stability, right? You, you want somebody to kind of be a whole person, and you want you want people to be that same person at work, at school, at home, regardless of who you're with, and it's kind of setting them up for failure down the road when. Um, you think about like relationships and just like yeah. you're, you're who the other person wants you to be rather than yourself. Yeah. And it takes away your own identity. I think you're absolutely right. It's Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com. K-U-H-L-M-A-N is her last name. And uh, on Bongino the other night on my, with my buddy Dan, you guys were talking about there's a Stockton serial killer. Maybe I'm not paying attention. Really? There's a, there's a serial killer in Stockton, California. It's right. It's it, like, when's the last time we heard about a serial killer? Been a long time. Um, it's been it's been a bit probably because technology has improved and it's so right. much more difficult to get away with things. There's cameras everywhere. Yeah, but the um, we've got um, I can't remember if it's six or seven um, homicides that have now been connected based on ballistics um, to the same person. Wow. And so there's kind of been some grainy footage of a guy in a hoodie, of course, um, you know, kind of picking people in in poorly lit areas in the middle of the night. Um, all around kind of all around Stockton and it's over the course of uh, the last year and a half or so and so people there are of course admittedly quite on edge yeah I would imagine so so what do we do when it comes to something like this do we as human beings shut down I'm not going to go out what time of night is he doing I'm not going to go in that area I'm going to look out for guys with hoodies I mean what, what is our natural instinct when we hear about this in our in our community well, it kind of depends on, on who you are, on how we respond to threats. So some people will engage in denial and they'll say, well, it'll never happen to me. That's not the area I live in. You know, really, what are the chances? I'm going to be fine. I'll take the risk. No big deal. Um, some people will really kind of try to limit what they do and they'll take, um, you know, they'll be more cautious. They, you know, now that they kind of narrowed it down to a time of day that it's at night and it's in, you know, poorly lit areas. Yeah. Um, for some people, for probably most people, that's easy enough to avoid. Um, and so, you know, they'll do that. Um, there will be some people who will become a total recluse. And, and those are the people that are kind of, you know, really freaking out and, and feel that this is like very much a crisis. And that's not necessarily the healthiest way to deal with something like that. Because, again, the chances are low and you do what you can to protect yourself. It's Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com. You'll see her on Fox. You'll see her on Newsmax. You'll see her on my program doing a great job. Uh, what, is our, what is our interest, our crazy interest in serial killers? And I want to relate one story. When I was growing up in Florida, Ted Bundy was on trial and they ended up executing him. But I remember he was so charismatic and so good looking that the judge said, because Bundy was a lawyer, he said, you know, had there been different circumstances, you could have been great at what you're doing here. Too bad, you know, you're a serial killer and they ended up killing the guy. But is that, is that a standard, uh, you know, uh, modus operandi? Are they always charismatic? Are they always able to get your confidence very quickly? Like Je- Jeffrey Dahmer was a piece of crap, but somehow he lured people in with whatever it was that he was using. What is it about them? Well, so there's, I mean, if you like break down serial killers, there's actually different types. So there's, okay. there's serial killers that are, that they, they do it because of, you know, the power and control. There's some that do it because of abandonment issues and rejection. There are some that um, use their charm to lure people in, but there's also some that are very, they, they've just been so rejected and they're kind of socially awkward. And so this is their revenge on the world. Um, but we do hear about them being oftentimes very charming. Um, it's kind of these like psychopathic traits that they, they know how to, present well in the real world, which helps them evade getting caught. um, And it helps them to lure victims in sometimes. Um, And, you know, but they don't have 
guilt. They don't have, you know, a conscience. They don't feel bad about what they're doing. Is that a physical, is that a physical brain thing when you're a sociopath, when you have no guilt? Is that, is that psychological? Is it physical? I mean, is there actually a part of their brain that just doesn't function like yours and mine? There, so actually, yes. Um, there's been some brain imaging studies that have basically said that the, the connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, those are the two areas, um, basically the amygdala is responsible for emotions, like negative emotions, um, and like guilt or fear, yeah. and the prefrontal cortex helps process them and understand them. So that connection is decreased or kind of missing in this type of person, and so they don't feel empathy the same way that you or I would. Wow. It's, uh, Dr. Katie Kuhlman, Dr. Catherine Kuhlman, go to drkuhlman.com, and again, check her out anywhere that she's appearing, because she does just a great job explaining things. Now that we know what makes up a serial killer, at least a little bit of it, why are we so enthralled? Why are we so uh, c- captured by Jeffrey Dahmer's special on, on Netflix? Why are people watching that? Why do they want to know more? Is it there, you know, uh, thank God I wasn't involved or how did he get away with it? What is it? Well, I think as humans, we want to make sense of the senseless, right? right. What Jeffrey Dahmer does was absolutely horrendous and it was senseless. And it, it's hard for a lot of us to try to wrap our head around like what would make a person snap like that? Well, they didn't snap, they planned it. But what would make a person do something that horrible and so when you watch Dahmer, and I haven't watched all of it, but you start to get kind of a little bit of glimpse into like the history of him and like what his life was like, right? And so then we start to kind of maybe understand the mind or, or the environment that this person was raised in and maybe what led to them doing this. Now, it doesn't make it okay ever, right. um, but sometimes when we have an understanding, we just want to know. And you know what? There's, there's this uh, museum in D.C. It's the Museum of Crime and Punishment. And I went there years ago, and they've got like Ted Bundy's car. They've got John Pink species clown suit i think i spent six hours in that oh, wow. yeah so just trying to figure out who they were and why they would do it yeah it was it was there was like it was like you know was my dream come true kind of but <laughs> i'm sure a lot of other people well, no, I, yeah. um, listen again it's Love doing it. it's doing great on netflix they they can't seem to get enough of it i haven't watched it yet but i saw one preview where the guy playing Dahmer uh is sitting down with his parents saying no mom and dad you don't understand i'm different and, and and I almost think they wanted us to be sympathetic to him, which I'm not going to be, because his parents wouldn't listen and wouldn't, you know, sort of be the mediation between him and doing all these heinous crimes. Do you find that, because again, it sounds like you've done a lot of research on these kind of people. Um, do you find that they've always tried to reach out and people never took them seriously before they did it? Well, so more often than not, when you look back at their history, there's going to be some type of theme of rejection or fear of abandonment. And like, this is going to be the most shrink thing I ever say, but in a lot of serial killers, it's their mom that's like, they felt abandoned by. And I don't know kind of how it's like the mom specifically. Right. Um, But what we see that a lot, and when you start to do more research, it's like, oh gosh, like they, they were rejected and, you know, they, they want to feel important. They want to feel empowered and they realize that killing lets them feel that way. Is there a difference, Katie, between a serial killer like a Dahmer or uh, the others that you mentioned, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, all these people, and people like Hitler and Mussolini? They were mass genocidal murderers, but they almost had to use the same tactic. They just did it out in public instead of doing it behind closed doors. Are they the same sort of people? Well, yeah, I think at their core, right, they still have those psychopathic qualities that allow them to do heinous things. You know, I think the problem is when you have, like, you know, Mussolini or Hitler – they're very focused on, you know, what they feel is is right. There's some kind of ideology behind what yeah. they're doing that's not necessarily related to them as a person at a core, right? It's related to, like, feeling like the superior race or something. Gotcha. Um, so it's a little bit different, but it's the same, I think, mechanisms that allow them to, to continue to engage in this action. 
it's it's so interesting because again, most of ninety nine point nine two percent of us will never ever even consider doing something like this. So when somebody goes off the deep end as as these people have, I can see why there would be some sort of morbid uh, interest. It's Dr. Katie Coleman, uh, Doc. Before I let you go, I always have I always have to bring up crime and police. We see Philadelphia setting records for murders in a year. Chicago doing the same thing. We're seeing police officers uh, are are being handcuffed, um, pun intended. They're not allowed to do their jobs. You've got people running for office who have been saying defund the police for three years, now lying, saying that I never said defund the police. If you're a cop on the street, if you're somebody who's been doing the job for 20 years even, or 30 years, what do you make of all this? It, it, it went from we love the police, you're keeping us safe, to they're the bad guys, to now they're pretending that we never attacked police. What do you mean? I just hate how politicized it's become right. against such, such a noble profession, you know, um, and that that piece makes me sad. But it's a roller coaster, right? Like to, to be proud of the job that you do and to re, you know receive the respect that you deserve one moment and then to be vilified and almost sometimes even embarrassed to share what you do for a profession the next. Um, that'll mess with your psyche. Um, it, it's part of your identity for a lot of officers is the fact that they are in law enforcement. And, you know, you kind of strip that away when you when you make it so that they can't talk about what they do for work or they're fearful. When they, put, when they put the uniform on, I mean, there was always a sense of pride. And you're right. That's that's sick that they might be embarrassed to say what they do for a living. And it's so crazy to me because we literally, everybody who's attacked police will still call 911 to get help if they need it. It's such a strange dichotomy. Is it this mass formation psychosis where, where the left has said it enough that police are bad, that certain people who never thought that before changed their minds? Well, it, it's that. And then they, they kind of cherry pick the scenarios in which case, yes. you know, a small portion of police are bad um, and they kind of blow those up out of proportion and make it, you know, generalize it to the entire profession, uh, which is wrong. I mean, the, the I, I talk and spend so much time with police every single day. And um, I don't know that I could pick out one that I would say, you know what, this guy shouldn't be on the streets. This is a bad apple. You know, these are people that really truly believe in the work that they're doing. And so that's that's the problem is that they've just cherry picked these these couple of bad scenarios and made it seem like this they're these horrible people and it just breaks my heart. And, and by the way, because of the technology that's involved that both protects the police and protects the people that they're dealing with, uh, the body cams and all this, you have fewer bad police officers who aren't noticed and, and who aren't gotten rid of uh, than we used to have back in the day. There might have been some corruption back in the day. Nobody knew. But now we know it almost immediately and the bad apples are dealt with. So leave everybody else alone. It's so crazy to me. I love that you work with them every day because I know that it's a thankless job today and trying to recruit new police officers is probably harder than it ever has been. It's Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com. Uh, Katie, I always appreciate you coming on. Great information as always. Of course, anytime. All right. I appreciate you. We're back after this. Stay right here. Don't be an A-Dub. Stay with the Joe Pag Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. (laughs) 
Always a pleasure to have Dr. Katie Kuhlman on the program. Great information as always, great insight as always, and very timely with today's uh, verdict and certainly with the Jeffrey Dahmer special doing so well on Netflix. We'll have her back often, at least once a month. We always have uh, the doctor on. Next hour will be Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor and the patent holder for mRNA technology. That's the the shots that people have been told to take for COVID. We get into the nitty-gritty. Why did the government do this? Why is the WEF doing what it's doing? Why is the WHO doing what it's doing? And does he agree with Dr. McCullough that people should not be taking these shots right now? That's going to be coming up at the end of next hour. Make sure you stick around for that. We're going to talk about the economy next hour at the top of the hour. And Joe Biden has a couple of choice sound bites, which are always interesting. 888-941-PAGS, 888-941-7247, JoePags.com. And you go to the website, J-O-E-P-A-G-S dot C-O-M-F. If you want to watch it, you can do so by clicking on Watch Now. Or if you want to follow me on any of the social media sites, they're right there on the right-hand side. Click on any of them. Click on Videos if you want to see previous interviews. Keep it here. Coming back. This is the Joe Pag Show.